Hi everybody, I'm Richard Conway. Welcome back to AMP, the podcast that showcases age group multi-sport athletes. Episode 3, I chat to Jules Richards, a GB age group multi-sport athlete. Jules started off sporting life with a board, a skateboard, a surfboard and a snowboard. But after a life-changing incident, recovery and sheer determination, he found himself entered into the world of multi-sport. Once entered, it not only changed his sporting life, but his life as a whole. Career changed, distance chosen he began the journey to represent his country in his chosen discipline of triathlon. Welcome to AMP. Thank you very much. Um, this is the third episode. I don't know whether you've listened to any of the others. Um, listen to all of them, actually, so okay. far. I listened to your story um, and then to Nick. Yeah, so uh, it's it's a concept, as you're probably aware, that came out of lockdown. Uh, how's things with lockdown yeah. with you? Uh, how's uh, um, Surprisingly, surprisingly, you know, it... I feel like I've adapted to it pretty, pretty strongly. Actually, I think I must have been more of an introvert than I thought I was. Um, I, there's myself and my partner and our two children, and it's just kind of you kind of we've kind of adjusted to a new normal fairly quickly. Mm. Um, it's it's more to do with keeping the keeping the kids sort of stimulated enough so that they're not driving us insane or each other. Yeah, yeah, that's the key. Thanks for getting in touch and wanting to come on and um, sharing your story. I've read read the email and interesting story that you've got. So, um, if you want to tell us a little bit about your your sporting background from a from a kid and how you progressed and obviously the 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 big injuries and 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 things that you've been through to up to basically I suppose where where you've um, you got into multi sport, yeah. Uh, okay, so gr- growing up in Cornwall, very very far southwest of Cornwall, uh, I was never one for organised sport. Uh, hated running, hated cross country. Couldn't couldn't run track at school. I mean, tra- when I said track, it was obviously a, gr- a field, um, and I wasn't really overly keen on rugby or football or anything like that. I just grew up surfing and skateboarding with friends um and yeah i i, I obviously stayed fit uh through through that but i was never an organized sport type person i've never found i particularly play well with others either i guess i'm, I'm i've never been a, a strong team team sport member only because I, I i like to be able to sort of have control over the over a performance, as it were. So when you when you're relying on others, there are a lot more 
variables there when it mm. comes into the, the overall performance. Um, so anyway, I uh, went to university um, and continued snowboarding there, should I say, and because I was away, away from the surf down in Cornwall, so I went to university in Cambridge. Uh, yeah. So I was um, leading a snowboarding trip um, to go and check out the uh, the resort for our team, and I had a bit of a snowboarding accident on the first day of the trip, uh, which resulted in me breaking my uh, breaking my back. Of uh, I fractured my L one vertebrae into three parts: um, compressed compressed T twelve and L two, and ended up having a metal plate um, implant to my spine to sort of fuse it all back together. So got flown home from Grenoble nine days later uh, on Christmas Eve, my own private private plane. Wow. Um, I got admitted to three different hospitals, and each of those admissions was like five thousand francs or something ridiculous. Um, and then obviously the operation itself and the flight and this, that, and the third thing. Um, I had to have a plane which allowed me to be stretched back. So I was, I had a, a nurse, a doctor, a pilot, and a co-pilot, wow. and me. Quite an impressive setup, actually. And in fact, I found out later on through my insurance company that I had the second highest claim in the Alps that winter. I came back and met my consultant over here, um, and they basically said to me, "Right, you're." I was. 20 at 19 at the time and they basically said to me right you know it shouldn't hold you back too much but you'll never do this you'll never it's unlikely that you'll snowboard again um running is probably not a particularly good thing for you to do due to the impact mm. and uh, basically you know you can you can exercise and but don't go don't do anything too strenuous because you know you've now got a bit of a weak point and, and to me, this was a bit like, a bit like a, a red rag to a bull, really. Um, I don't like being told I can't do something. Uh, uh, I think that's probably something that most multi-sport athletes have in, in common. Yeah. It's like, uh, you can never do that. Oh, well, okay, you just you just watch me. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, they said, right, no exercise for three months. After that, you can start doing some swimming. And I'd always always been a, a swimmer because of my surfing yeah. um, and just enjoyed being in water. So I, after about a month, I was bored. I was back at uni, bored out of my brains. And I was like, right, I, I feel good enough. So I got, I got in the pool. So after a month, I was swimming. After the three months, I was back in the gym, uh, just trying to build some strength up. And nine months later, I was back snowboarding again um, and had sort of taken to, to fitness a little bit more like I hadn't done before because I realised that I needed to, to protect, my, protect my back more mm. than anything. And so the years, the years went by and I didn't really, again, I wasn't really into anything uh, structured. I just kind of did sports to keep, keep myself in shape. Um, I went to the gym, I swam, I did a little bit of running, but nothing, nothing major. Um, and then I decided that I wanted to run the London Marathon. I went to the gym, I swam, I did a little bit of running, but nothing, nothing major. 
Um, and then I decided that I wanted to run the London Marathon um, because it was one of those things that, you know, I've, I'd always watched it on TV and thought, wow, that's it's just such a phenomenal spectacle to watch the London Marathon. Yeah. I thought I'd love to be part of that. And I'd love to, to have a go. And I thought I'll, I'll, uh, I can raise some money for um, a spinal charity that helped me out when, oh, cool. um, yeah. called Aspire that helped me out when I when I came back from France. So I thought, I'll raise some money. But, so I, this was 2005 when I first put my entry in for the 2006 London Marathon. I know nothing about the uh, the entry sort of qualification, the entry process. Didn't realise that it was ridiculously difficult to get into and all that sort of stuff. Um, and unsurprisingly, I got a rejection letter. I was like, okay, fine. So I looked into it a little bit more and realised that it's unlikely, well, not unlikely, it's very difficult to get in through the ballot because of the number of spots that went to apply for the following year, so in 2006 for 2007, and then disaster struck and I, um, I snapped the brace that had been put into my spine when I was surfing down in Cornwall. Right. I ended up um, becoming quite unwell, but I'd already entered uh, the London Marathon by this point and I thought, well... I'm unlikely to get in the second year, but at least I've got my my application on a rolling thing. So I've got mm. two two entries now. Um, they realised that the brace was broken, so they decided to that they were going to take it out that November. So I went into Exeter Hospital to have the spinal brace removed, um, and by doing that, they had to cut through all the muscles in my lower back. So I was not i wasn't able to stand upright for a little while how long was that then i was out of hospital about five days after the operation Mm. um not able to stand for any particular length of time um you know i was i would hobble around a bit and then i'd have to sit down Mm. and then so I came out of hospital at the end of November, but I came out of hospital to find the congratulations you're in letter <laughs> for the London Marathon lying on my bed. So there's motivation for yeah, So I, I thought, well, I can either defer um, or accept this as a bit of a personal challenge. So being, being I think, much like most sports athletes would do, they... I said it's a challenge. I was like, right, I'm going to be there in April um, on that start line and see how we go. Mm. So by the end of December, I was able to walk to the end of my mum's drive and back, which I guess was probably five, six hundred metres. Right. Um, And then I kind of, I looked up sort of a training plan and I spoke to a few people and a lot of people and I joined a gym and they are, they're all a bit like well this is a it's it's a long shot that you're going to be able to do this but you know if you're determined mm. then and you're not going to set the world on fire you, you know this is you've got to be prepared for a relatively slow time mm. so from that point from the December end of December to to the April, I ran two to three times a week, cycled two to three times a week, swam twice a week, and went to the gym twice a week. 
you know, I got to the point where I actually, I think my longest run was only about 16 miles. Mm. Um, and I thought that's as, that's as far as I could, I could really push it at that time in the lead up to, in, with, with regards to the distance to the time to the marathon. So I did it. I got round. Um, it was massively unpleasant. <laughs> so I got to the end of the marathon uh, in 4.39, I think it was. Vowed never to do it again. Hmm. Um, and uh, then after a week or so, I was kind of like, I, I, I kind of got the bug a little bit. I'd enjoyed all the training and I thought I might as well do something with the fitness that I've gained from this. And being a swimmer and, well, at that point, then considered myself to be a bit of a runner, I thought, well, I'll give triathlon a go. Uh, my first race was a, a small local sprint down in Cornwall. And had you any um, connections with anybody doing triathlon at the time? Nope. I uh, didn't know anyone doing it. This was back in 2007. So, you know, I mean, it was, it was, triathlon was fairly well known, but, you know, it wasn't. And down in Cornwall, actually, there was quite a big scene. Right. I didn't know anyone doing it. Yeah. Um, I just thought, I'll just give it a whirl, give it a go. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd never ridden a road bike, um, so I bought a road bike like six weeks before the race. <laughs> um, like a, 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 I think I got a, an entry-level package from a from a tri an online tri store, so it got me a wetsuit and it got me a, a simple road bike and that sort of bits and pieces. Um, I remember riding with cleats for the first time, and of course falling off it's when you come to a junction. And you're yeah. like, oh, 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 yeah. oh no! I've got, I've got, <laughs> yeah, you're not. I've got to take you're not a prop. You're not a proper cyclist if you haven't done that. <laughs> no, that was my first. Yeah, I think it was my first ride, and I was right next to a car at the time. And they just wound down the window, laughed at me, and drove off. Mm. <laughs> it's about right. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, you know, I got in. I still remember doing that race because I remember coming into transition, um, running up to my, uh, coming off my bike, getting off my bike, coming up to my shoes and realising that I'd left double knots in the laces from the last time I'd taken them off. <laughs> so I spent like three minutes standing in transition, taking, undoing the knots and then redoing my laces and all that sort of stuff. Um, but the thing that really struck me at that first race was like the camaraderie between everyone there. Mm. You know, everyone was like cheering each other and like um, clapping people across the line or giving you a pat on the back or just sitting, giving you a thumbs up on the bike. It was amazing. Mm. Just um, and and from that moment, I was completely hooked. Yeah. So after um, you, after you'd done that, what was your thoughts? Where were you? Where were you going to head next? Well, at that point, I was just like. I, I quite fancy another one of these. So um, that season, I did a couple more sprints. And then, um, because I was living down in Cornwall, I then did Perimporth, okay. which um, is, uh, is well known, uh, especially in Cornwall. Uh, but it's it was rated by Triathlon Plus as one of the top five hardest triathlons in the country at the time, partly because of the sea swim. And what distance which, is that? That's a, it's a one kilometre sea swim, yeah. a 37 and a half kilometre bike, 
and a seven and a half kilometer run. Right. But the bike is really hilly. Mm. Really, really. It follows the coastal path out of Perrinporth down towards St Agnes. Okay. And if anyone has been down that sort of neck of the woods, it, there's not a flat square inch in that <laughs> stretch of road in, on that stretch of road, and you do that twice. Right. Um, and and the swim, obviously being in the sea, you can get some horrendous conditions there. And the Surf Life Saving Club, who are run the triathlon, are world championship lifesavers. So essentially, whatever the conditions, they're going to run it. And the, <clears throat> there's only been a couple of times in the race history that they've stopped the swim. Sounds like um, sounds like one I did in Redcar. <laughs> oh really? I, I did Redcar a couple yeah. of years ago actually. Yeah. Uh, I loved Redcar. Mm. It was um, it was a good race. Um, yeah. So Perrinporth, uh was then. So I mean, there have been races where there's 500 people start, and I think only something like a hundred made it out of the swim. Yeah. They were just pulling people out of the pulling people out of the water, left, right and centre. Mm. Um, and then the run is seven and a half kilometres, but the first, uh, well, I'd say 800 metres are across soft sand. Then you go up over a 200-foot cliff, down the other side, back onto the beach, and the rest is on the beach. So it's, it, you know, as far as triathlons go, it's pretty brutal. Mm. Um, and so I did that. And again, really, really enjoyed it. And I was like, oh, I, could, I, I quite fancy going a little bit longer. Um, and then um, my partner and I went up to Sherborne because her parents lived in the area to see the UK Ironman. Because, okay. you know, it's something I, I'd never even really heard of at the time. Um, just to see what it was about. Uh, went up and had a look. And immediately, as soon as I was there, I was like, right, this is the next challenge. You know, I've done the marathon this year. I was just going to say, you'd already done the marathon, so you'd tick that one off. Well, this is it. I was like, I've done a marathon, and I've started triathlon. What, where can I push myself? After being told that I was never going to do certain things again, I've always been driven to see how far I can push myself. Mm. Um. And, and as I said before, I think that's probably a, quite a common theme amongst multi-sport athletes is that we're always seeing how how far we can go or how uh, how fast we can go. Um, and it's that, it's that sort of personal uh, competition rather than competition against others. Yeah, I think that's absolutely um, right, isn't it? You know, you, you just... Although you're in a competition, you you got competitors, and there's there's always people that you've seen in other races that you you want to be there or thereabouts, and they've beat you, or you know, and they're a marker as to how you're improving. I guess each 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 time you race, um, but it is ultimately yeah. about yourself, isn't it? Yeah, and and it's and it's that personal journey. Um, so yeah, that was it. I was like, right, 2008. Um, Iron Man UK, I'm coming to get you, type mm. thing. Um, so at that point, I started taking training a lot more seriously, and started looking looking up, you know, uh, researching about how I should be training because I knew that I could just do what I did for the marathon to get around mm. that course. Um, 
so I started doing a lot of reading, um, and I guess my my early sources of information were very much books. I did a lot of reading. Um, Joe Friel, uh, uh, Principles of Periodization, and all those sorts of ideas. Then started designing my own programs. And 2008 season came around. I did a middle distance at the start of the season, which down in Marazine, down in Penzance, which was really good. Really enjoyed it. Um, and I thought, well, if I enjoy, if I can enjoy sort of something this distance, this middle distance, then I reckon I'm going to really enjoy, I'm going to love the Ironman. So everything else that season, I just focused towards the Ironman in mm. September. Again, it's one of those experiences, there's uh, certain snapshots from it that are just so vividly imprinted into my brain, the sort of standing waist depth mm. water at 6am as the sunrise mm. sort of comes up uh, with... 1500 other athletes um just kind of waiting for the gun knowing that it's going to be 12 hours or so before i see the finish line mm. and sort of trying to mentally prepare for that uh, was that was some that's something that will always always stick in my head yeah so so you you managed to do that obviously off your own bat there was no coaches involved no no triathlon club or anything you were a you were solo no always been relatively solo so i've never really been part of a triathlon club i've i i kind of worked a little bit with bad try when i lived in bristol right. um i did some coaching for them with uh the tri stars so the youth youth uh, side of things um so i used to do some of their swim sessions but other than that i've always pretty much done my own thing mm. i have had a coach Oh, I, and I am currently coached, but at that point, um, no, it was all off my own back. It was all based on my own research. Yeah, very good, very good. So from from on on from that then that uh, that was two thousand and eight. Where did you go? What did you? What was your next your next venture? Um, well, from there, it kind of it's funny because it it the fact that I got into this quite so as much as I had and looked into the training and all that sort of stuff it changed my it even changed my career i then um at the time i was working in the oil industry um but i then became a personal trainer and sports massage therapist and moved to bristol bristol's got a very um very vibrant and very uh tight-knit and very large triathlon scene mm. so as i mentioned bad try they're a massive club and you know you can't go to any race anywhere without seeing one of their members somewhere um so i kind of got involved with them i kind of had a bit of a, a couple of fallow years i guess where i was just meddling in some local sprint distance stuff um just because i was setting up my business um i didn't have a huge amount of time to train i also um had my first my first child so and you're juggling self-employment with young children and kind of i just dabbled you know i it became more of a social thing for me than anything particularly still serious but then i got um i started getting just from i think being a personal trainer um my fitness started improving naturally by itself without having to actually do any form of structured training my performances started improving and i was identified by 
by bad tries, someone who they wanted to put on their development program, which for me, it kind of kind of, kind of came out of the blue because I wasn't really um, doing anything that, you know, I wasn't structured training. So I thought, oh, well, if, if I can get some support here and get some structure to my training, maybe I could get quite quick. Yeah. Um, and then that unfortunately fell through, but the sponsor for that development team still wanted me on board uh, and they were a company who aren't, unfortunately aren't around anymore but it was the triathlon shop in bristol okay um and, and i ended up racing for them for four years or so yeah. um so i was fully supported by them still still self-coached with a little bit of assistance from bad try and their head coach but because i was then getting a bit more support and i realized that i could potentially get quite a lot quicker i i started really focusing on my training someone said to me well how about um going for the world champs and i was like what are you talking about and i had no idea about british age group racing and all that sort of stuff it was just not something that i had ever looked into because i just assumed that uh, you know these guys were racing way way above where i was mm. and then as you said in previous episodes you start looking at times yeah. of qualification times and other bits and pieces and you yeah. go oh hold on that's, yeah. not, that's not not that i'm not a million miles away from that i think perhaps i could give it a go yeah um and the first year i i, I qualified was auckland uh in new zealand in 2012 um, so the whole thing became this ma a massive adventure. What distance was that at? That was sprint. sprint. That was sprint. So by this point, I was focusing um, purely on sprint stuff, purely on going, trying to go as fast as I possibly could. Yeah. Um, because it just really fitted with my the, the amount of time that I had to train. Mm. I've, I've always felt that middle distance is probably my distance. Mm. I've, you know, even after that one middle distance race that I did back in 2008, I've always felt that uh, I'm a middle distance athlete mm. rather than sprint or long for that matter. Um, but I've never really had the time to train for it. So I've just stayed trying to trying to get as quick as I can. Mm. What race did you qualify to get to Auckland? What was the... I think I raced Eton. Um and again, that was one of those ones where, you know, it's, it was the first time I'd ever raced at a venue like that, where it is pan flat, it is, you can see all of your competition the entire way around, mm. you know exactly, you can gauge your efforts and all that sort of stuff. Um, so that was, that was a really bizarre kind of uh, different type of racing for me because mm. normally you're just you know you're just out on roads pretty much by yourself and you're just cycling along you're just cycling as hard as you can but not not necessarily knowing what's coming up so racing at a in a very uh in an environment where a lot of the variables are now controlled because there's no traffic and there's mm. no you know other than your duck walking across the the footpath yeah um I, I really enjoyed that form of racing was that drafting or non-drafting that was non-drafting non-drafting there was still non-drafting back in 2012 yeah uh all on all on tt bikes yeah. you know 
Yeah, so you qualified for Auckland. That went well? Yeah. Uh, Auckland went amazingly well. Um, I ended up, obviously, as, as you said previously in uh, previous episodes, that, you know, I turned it into a bit of a holiday as well. Yeah. So I had a week in Auckland beforehand, staying with a friend. But the weather leading up to it was, was absolutely horrendous. It's really, really windy, really rainy. And I was like, oh, no, it's going to be awful. It's going to be absolutely terrible come race day um but woke up on race morning and it's clear blue skies wind had dropped uh being able to be in auckland for the week leading up to the race to watch the pros and then a friend of mine was competing in the um standard distance and then he won his age group in the standard distance and watching him do that Brilliant. it was just the real buzz yeah. the opening ceremony and doing the parade of nations straight through the centre of Auckland. Oh, it was just absolutely amazing. It's just like nothing I'd ever experienced or yeah. ever thought I'd be capable of being part of. Yeah. I, I never, in my wildest dreams, like growing up, thought for a second that I would be able to represent my country at a sport and be involved in, in something like that. Yeah, it is It is rather special. Since, since then, I've, I've actually been able to go to a parade of nations where my children have been able to walk with me mm. in it um and be able to share that experience with them was was something something else yeah yeah very special from 2012 after you experienced the world champs um did you try and qualify again well, straight away yeah yeah basically from that point forward it was a bit like we've got the bug now yeah um the problem was the following year was the world champs were in and, and, and triathlon was, has always been my thing um, rather than duathlon. I have recently started going more more towards duathlon, but um, it's always been sprint distance try for, mm. for a long, long time. I've kind of specialised in that area. The following year, the, the world champs were in London, tried to qualify at Bristol, but missed, missed qualification by one spot. Right. Uh, which I was gutted yeah. about, absolutely gutted. Was that uh, um, in the race itself, or was it a roll down that you missed? That was on a, that was on a roll down. Right. So I was one spot off the bottom of the yeah. roll down. At that point, I was like, right, I'm definitely going to try and I've definitely got to get in next year. Um, so immediately attempted to qualify for the, the following year, um, in which was Edmonton. Yeah. in uh, Canada, which I qualified for, but then we moved house, and then we'd, uh, oh, there's a, a whole series of um, catastrophes, which meant I had to give up my place. Right. So I didn't go to Edmonton, even though I qualified. Um, so I was a bit like, <sighs> yeah, really, really frustrated, really annoyed. By this point, I missed two years on the trot. So I was like, right, next year, I don't care where it is, I don't care what's going on, I am... Um, Going to the world champs, I'm gonna make, gonna get there. And the following year was Chicago again, yeah. sprint distance, and luckily qualified. When I qualified for Chicago, um, Eton again. Right. It was, no, or no, sorry, not Eton, Nottingham. Okay. Another yeah. one of those. Uh, was that at the um, Was that at the water sports centre? Yeah. 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 I really enjoy racing there. Yeah. Uh, again, it's another one of those courses which is you just you can just gauge everything. Yeah. You know, you know whereabouts you are. It's it's a nice format. It's an interesting bike car. It is. Yeah. And 
yeah, qualified for Chicago. Um, so off I went to Chicago for a week. Having never, I've never been to the States before. Uh, and I, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Ended up staying in an Airbnb with two random other British age groupers. Uh, one who is um, only 18 at the time and, you know, it was his first big adventure. And another guy who was um, a newbie to um, to triathlon and sort of had qualified almost by accident. Um, he was in my age group and we had a real... Uh, we had a real sort of camaraderie going on whilst we were out there and, you know, we were taking the mick out of each other and winding each other up because we knew we were of a similar um, similar ability. So I was yeah. a much better swimmer than him, but he was much faster on the bike. And then we were much of a muchness on the run. So we knew it was going to come down to the wire on the race day itself. And as it turned out, it couldn't have been any closer. He finished about two seconds behind me. Oh wow! Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I took him out. Took it, took it out on the swim. He came back on the bike, and then it was again. It was a really, really hot day, um, and he and I, I died on the run. Really, really died badly on the run. And he started sort of started winding me in, and I didn't even know he was there. I yeah. hadn't even, I hadn't even clocked him, and. <clears throat> Yeah, crossed the finish line, turned around, and there he was, literally on my heels. So moving on from from Chicago, what was uh, what have you done since? Again, two sprint distances. I went to uh, 2016. I didn't try to qualify. Money uh, money wasn't available for it, and I think it was a uh, was it Gold Coast. Basically, it was it was to the rate. Oh, it was Cozumel. Cozumel. Yeah. I was like. I thought it's too far. It's is too far, and I don't. With by this point, I had my second daughter, and I was like, you know what? It's just not. I just can't justify spending that amount of money or that much time away from home. Well, life takes over, doesn't it? it? It does, you know. And you've got to have a balance. Um, you know, my family put up with an awful lot with my training and my racing and all the rest of it. So sometimes, you know, you've got to really think about decisions like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're at the stage now where we can all go yeah. on holiday because my children are old enough to come out with us um, and it not be, you know, and us not struggle with it all. Mm. So it, it opens up things a little bit more. But at that time, it just wasn't, you know, my... My youngest was only three, mm. and taking her to Mexico would have just been an absolute nightmare. Yeah. So I, I kind of uh, gave it a year off, and then the following year, it, the, the sprints were back back in Europe in Rotterdam. So and by that point, it was draft legal stuff. Yeah. I, I hadn't had a go at draft legal before, and I was like, I, I quite fancy this. Yeah. Do you do you enjoy Did the drafting? Very different style of racing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm quite lucky, as I said, quite lucky in that I'm a, a relatively strong swimmer, um, so I can come out near the front. Yeah. And I qualified for Rotterdam at Redcar. Right. Um, at the draft legal race there. I came out of the swim and I didn't realise quite how much I had to redline it on the bike um, because I, I got got out with the with the lead pack, mm. but they they just put the hammer down on the bike and I'm 
out of the three disciplines, cycling was definitely my weak. Oh, has always been my weakest. I'm working on it super hard this season. But they, they, I just got dropped really badly on the first lap. Mm. Uh, then got swept up in a second group. Um, but I was still recovering from being dropped by the first group. <laughs> so I got dropped by them. Uh, and then managed to stick with the third group who we made some inroads into the into the two groups ahead. Mm. Um, but it was, you know, it was fast and furious racing. Yeah. It yeah. was really scary. In fact, in points, it was really quite scary. You've got to know what uh, you're doing you know, on the bike, haven't you? Yeah, 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 it's, uh, I mean, I saw, a, there was a guy who, we were riding along, we must have been three abreast at the time, I was in the middle, uh, or four abreast even, and this guy went to reach for his water bottle, just as he hit a, um, a drain cover, and that was it, I didn't see him again, he mm. was like, all I heard was the scraping of carbon, and then he hit a lamppost, oh. uh, and I think, you know, there were three, there were three, uh, three athletes blue lighted away on that race mm. because it was just, it was so fast and so yeah. furious. And if you haven't got decent, like half decent bike handling skills, mm. or are used to riding in packs, yeah, it's it's a totally different ball game. Yeah, and again, it's a flat and fast course, isn't it, red car? Yeah, uh, and technical in parts. Yeah, um, and a lot of. Uh, Lot of street furniture yeah. that you got to be aware of. Yeah, um, I remember. Um, I remember racing it myself, and I nearly went in the back of a car, a parked car. We come round, come yeah. round a bend, and it was just, where's that come from? You know. Yeah, just there, just yeah. <laughs> right in front of you. Yeah. Um, and the yeah, so uh, you know, if if anyone I would say is uh, looking to get into the drafting side of things, um, so the sprint distance, um, age group stuff. You know, my, my big piece of advice would be to get some practice in riding in groups. Get out there with your local bike clubs um, yeah. and get used to riding on people's wheels or having people ride on your wheel or just riding in a big group fast and really hard because yeah. <laughs> it's it's a different ball game. Yeah, wise words. So that that was Rot for Rotterdam. Rotterdam was brilliant. I, I, and earlier on, I said I'm, I'm not much of a team player. Um, which is why I've chosen a quite a solitary sport. But uh, it was funny because you were you were racing obviously in your team colours, and because you're able to draft, you know you get packs of um, guys all yeah. riding together. Yeah. So the first part of the ride, the swim was great. It's pretty non-eventful as most swims most swims are generally. Um, but out onto the bike course, in the first part of it, I was. I was kind of by myself, like picking up, picking off one or two um, uh, athletes from other countries. But then I spotted a couple of guys that I knew and sort of managed to catch up with them. And we then caught up with a couple of other guys we knew. And within, you know, before we knew it, there was a group of five GB athletes mm. absolutely smashing it down these bike paths um, in full formation, sort of. One on the front for twenty seconds peels off. The next one twenty seconds peels off. Um, it was it was absolutely, and we were just going past people that they were going backwards. It was probably one of the most like memorable bike segments of any race I've ever had. Just because to be able to race like that was something that I've never ever done before yeah. or since. Yeah, yeah, certainly an experience. Moving on from Rotterdam, um, what was the next? 
the next race. Last um, sort of GB uh, representation was I raced up in. Oh, I decided not to go for the ITU. That's right. Gold Coast was that year, nine, 2018. I decided not to go for ITU. I went for ETU and raced at the raced at the Europeans up okay. in Glasgow. All right, yeah. Uh, which, I mean, it was it was like it was almost like a national championship. Yeah. <laughs> I qualified that for, for that by the skin of my teeth through a roll down. Um, but I got up there, and it was another level. You know, mm. all the guys who qualified were unbelievably fast it was a great race but i, I mean i didn't my performance um placings wise wasn't great but compared to you know i was i was really pleased with how i had gone but mm. when i looked at my rankings um it was it was quite clear that there was a, a whole other caliber of athlete there <laughs> fantastic fantastic so that was was that the last race you did for GB? Yeah, that was my last GB race. Yeah, I wanted to race in Bermuda next year. Yeah. Um, so my plan was to try and qualify um, this year for sprint distance in Bermuda. Right. For the ITU, but obviously, with the current situation, I think that's that's going to be put on hold. Yeah. Um, my other plan was duathlon and attempt to. Either well qualify for the duathlon world champs because the Bedford Autodrome in October, yeah, which I'm still eyeing up. You know that's still kind of on the cards, hopefully. Uh-huh. Um, and I'll, I'll aim for for duathlon qualification for next year. But it was it was all supposed to work out so beautifully because this year I was supposed to be racing the Norseman in August, okay. and then I was going to do Bermuda next year. But unfortunately, the Norsemans had to be cancelled, and we've all been rolled over to next year. Yeah. So I can't really do Bermuda and Norway no, <laughs> in the same no. year. My bank manager would not be very happy with me if I did. Yeah, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen, do we, actually? Things are just getting cancelled event after event yeah. now, aren't they? So I think it's it's this year, I think, is pretty much a write-off in my, yeah, in my mind, right. and it's sort of like taking stock. And um, yeah, and then just building for next year and 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 see what happens. Well, yeah, I mean, we uh, amongst the uh, the Norsemen um, athletes, um, it's it's one of those races. I think that um, it's even more of a between the athletes. It's even more of a community feel than than other races, only because you know it's so iconic mm. um, that. We've, we, we find ourselves in this really almost privileged position that we've known we're doing the Norsemen since last November mm. and now we've got till next a, a year in August to prepare for it yeah you know we we as a as a group of athletes should be able to go out there and and be so well prepared for it yeah that it'll be no other no other time it's ever been held yeah. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope it all works works out, and um, you know it can oh, it can be done. So, a few a few questions yeah. then, just to just to finish off. What do you think from the beginning of your multi sport sort of adventure to the where you're at now? What do you think you've learned and changed and adjusted and and improved? What's the what are the most sort of like poignant parts of of the process? Almost every race, 
feels like a bit of a learning experience. You know, as I mentioned, that first race with the double knots in your shoes, yeah. and then you go, okay, how can I overcome that problem? Oh, elastic laces are a thing. I'll go buy some of those. Um, so I, I guess for me, it's making sure to improve is just to reflect on on every every little learning opportunity and go, mm. okay, how can I, 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 I messed up a little bit there. How am I going to improve on that next time? Mm. Um, what, is is there something that I can do, or I don't I don't like to say is there something I can buy that will sort of iron out that problem? But when it's something like elastic, like something as simple as elastic races, mm. yeah, then uh, just to combat combat a problem. And so I guess the learning point is that if there's a problem, there's always a way around it. Yeah, yeah, good point. No, you can you, you can always find a way around the problem. Um, if you if you do enough research and if you go out and you speak to people or you look up podcasts or videos or you know that sort of stuff, or you can always find a solution. Yeah. So other than this podcast, obviously, what uh, other <laughs> other what other resources do you sort of go to? I am a Tridot ambassador. So yeah. Tridot are a, a company in America. Yeah, I um, listen to the podcast actually. They are um, they are quite entertaining. Yeah, I use their podcast quite a lot. Um, they're really really good. Um, so I use I use them. I I speak you know uh, I speak to a lot of people. You know um, I try and get involved in as many different things as I can. So uh, so just go out and get involved. Yeah. You know, in in anything you can. Tomorrow I'm taking part in. A virtual X try race, uh, and Tim Don's going to be on it speaking. Um, so all this sort of stuff is out there. Yeah. Um, you just need to be be on the on the lookout for it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, podcasts, talking to people, and and shows like GTN. You know, mm-hmm. um, generally for product type stuff, I will I will go to people I know and people I trust. But for um, tips and tricks on how to get to improve technique and, and speed I'll, I'll listen to podcasts and watch videos and stuff like that and just going on that then hints and tips what would you you know what would you give to somebody in multi-sport at the moment doing races who wants to progress and an attempt to sort of like qualify maybe next year or the year after to represent GB, what would you say to them? Uh, I would say, one, it's not as out of your reach as you probably think it is. Um, that that goal is is probably more attainable than you realise. But uh, on the same lines, having having a coach for a season or two is worth its weight in gold. You know, if if you don't. You can do all the reading in the world, but unless you have a really, really good understanding of how your body is responding to the training pressures you're putting under it, which a, a good coach, by looking at looking at your data, will be able to to figure out, you won't make as as big a, as much progress as you possibly could. Yeah. So I would say it's not as as far out of your reach as you think it is, but to make those gains faster, get a coach. Yeah. Wise words again, wise words. 
And finally, um, what's your favourite piece of equipment, kit, that you've got? Um, favourite bit of kit. And why? It's, <laughs> it's probably, it sounds really boring, but my, my, turbo tra my, my turbo trainer. Right. I love the fact that I can absolutely nail a bike workout in... Uh, with the turbo trainer with you know I can put in way more effort safely mm. on a turbo trainer yeah. than I can out on the road yeah. um, and it allows me, so it allows me to fully push myself to my absolute limit without endangering myself yeah so for, for those gains on the bike that I, I really <laughs> I've really needed to make um, getting a smart turbo was it's probably been my my very best investment. And what do you link it up to? Swift. The, the interactivity on Swift and being able to go on there and race. And next week, I'm hopefully going to take part in the team time trial on there. Yeah. And all that sort of stuff. Yeah. It's just at the moment, I, I haven't found anything that really compares. No. No, is it? Uh, it's a great, especially in these times that we're in at the moment. It's just a great piece of equipment and you know clubs can get together i don't know whether you listened to nick price's podcast last time yeah. out episode two he was um he's come up with a, a duathlon on zwift and we also do races every now and then uh and it's just been, it's just been brilliant yeah um it's he's on facebook and he puts announcements out and um, oh, okay. it's, it's just that. been really good. So every Saturday he does a he does a duathlon, and I think this Saturday is the first first one where he's actually <clears throat> going to do a proper duathlon. I think previously it's just been a, a run and a bike because of the restrictions on people being able to go out. Um, but now it, it's going to be a proper duathlon, so a run and a bike and a run. Um, so yeah, that's nice. that's good. And like you say, there's loads of things that people are doing out there that you can use with for and. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think yeah. it's a fantastic bit of kit. So thank you ever so much for spending um, your, your Friday afternoon and, and chatting away. Absolutely. Really do appreciate it. Please, please spread the word to everybody you can about this. Um, and yeah, let's, well. let's build support and momentum because I think it's a, it's a really great idea for, for people to become aware of, you know, what it takes to become a, a GB well, an age group multi-sport, and not just GB, um, because yeah. we've all we've all started out liking to run, bike, or swim, haven't we? And um, yeah, so yeah, so yeah, so thank you ever so much. Have you got anything else that you'd like to say before we we wrap it up? Um, no, I don't. I don't think so. Just that uh, you know, with the with the current climate, just I think everyone needs to stay safe and and keep training because you know it's it's really good for your mental health and yeah uh you know just just keep training yeah. Yeah. Cool. thank you very much yeah no worries thanks jules Cheers, take care bye wow what a story what a journey it never ceases to amaze me how we can come back from adversity jules has had some great adventures and i've loved hearing about his journey into multi-sport so thanks for sharing, Jules, top man, and good luck with what's to come. And if you feel inspired and want to tell us about your journey into multisport, please get in touch and you can find us at agegroupmultisportpodcast at gmail.com. And if you like what you've heard, please leave us a com comment 
share, subscribe and like. And until next time, stay safe, keep training and love the process.